Does world belong in worship? Do you know you can go to any number of Christian bookstores and find books with titles like Worship Wars, or Wars in the Pew, uh, books that talk about the conflicts that churches have, about styles of worship. How do you feel about that? Is that what worship is all about? When we talk about worship in those terms, one of the things that come to mind is that we have made worship anthrocentric. That's just a big way of saying man-centered. Is that what God wanted? As we conclude our study of worship, we've talked about different things that we do in worship. But this morning, I want us to finish by thinking about our attitude in worship. What is it that God desires in our worship? And for this study this morning, I want us to think about Psalm 95. And use Psalm 95 as the basis of our study of what God is looking for in worship from His people. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please be turning to Psalm 95. And obviously, this takes place within that time period in which God's people were the people of Israel. But I think the attitudes and the idea about how we ought to approach God in worship extends beyond what God says here to the people of Israel in Psalm 95. And we can learn from it even as His church today. Notice what David says, Psalm 95, beginning in verses 1 through 3. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with songs. As we look at the beginning of this psalm, the first thing that we see is the reason for our worship. The idea that God is the rock, the source of our salvation. As Christians, we look at Psalm 95, verse 1, and we think, yes, Jesus is the rock. And certainly, that is true. But from a Jewish perspective, a Jewish person reading this, I wonder if their minds would go back to that wandering in the wilderness in which Moses, by the power of God, brought water from the rock. Not once, but twice. The people were thirsting. Uh, they thought they were facing their demise. But God was able to water them from the rock and thus provide them with salvation. But as Christians, we look at the rock, not as some rock out there in the wilderness in the Middle East somewhere, but we look as Christ as being our rock. He is the one who has provided us with our salvation. And so the psalmist says, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. We can sing with joy and we can sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God because he has saved us. Because we had sin in our life. And yet he provided a way of escape and sustains us. And so we can thank him. And we can rejoice in that. And so we see a reason for our worship. But as we look in these opening verses, we also see a location 
in which we worship him. Verse 2 says, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. This would have blown the minds, I suspect, of many of these Jewish readers hearing David talk about this because they knew that the only one that could go into the very presence of God in the Holy of Holies was no one but the high priest. And so for them to have the idea that they could come before him, that they could come into his presence, that was a new idea. That was a new concept. And yet the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 that we can come into the very holy place of God because of the blood of Christ, which he inaugurated through his flesh. Christ opened up a way in which as Christians we can come before God. Now let that sink in for just a moment. When we worship, we are coming into the presence of God. Last night I happened to be reminded of, uh, of the song, and my youngest son uh, was regretful of that uh, because I was singing it to him. Uh, but... Uh, the old song that says, I want Jesus to walk with me. I ought to be walking with Jesus anyway. Shouldn't I? I mean, I understand the idea of that song. That's, that's a good concept of walking with God. But you see, when we worship, we are coming into his presence. We're standing before God. Now, if we're standing before God, if we're in God's presence, what attitude should I have? If I'm coming before God's presence, should my worry about worship be, this is what I want this morning? This is what I need this morning? Or should my focus be on God and giving Him thanks? And that's what the psalmist says. Come, let us come into His presence and let's joyfully, thankfully praise Him. And again, he's already told us the reason why we praise him. But you see, when we worship, we're there before God. And that ought to drive our attitude. When we come together to worship, we ought to recall that we're in his presence. And again, we see that attitude in these verses. Repeated again and again. Joyfully. With thanksgiving. Verse 2. Come before his presence with thanksgiving. That is the manner in which we worship, with thanksgiving. Sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Uh, to, to worship God with an attitude of thanksgiving. Sometimes we let our minds go in different places. Last week we talked about what preachers ought to do. Remember Paul tells Timothy, be ready in season and out. Preach the word. With exhortation, well, that's an easy one. With correction and reproof, how do you do that with thankfulness? And so we have sometimes, sometimes in our worship as we, as we study God's word that we're serious and we're meditating on God's word and sometimes that message is a, is a serious message and sometimes that message is sometimes hard for us to digest. And yet the psalmist says we ought to approach God with thankfulness. We're praising God because as we read his word, we realize he's given me salvation. He's given me life. 
And so I can thank him. But then the psalmist also tells us of other things that we ought to do as we worship. We ought to come with humility. Notice what he says, verse 3. For the Lord is a great God, a king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry What's the psalmist reminding us of as he says these things? The awesomeness of God. I love mountains. I'm from Washington State originally, and I love mountains. I love to hike in the mountains. I love to see the mountains off in the distance. I, I like to go up in the mountains and, and just be in nature. And I just love all that kind of good stuff. but I can't make the mountains. I can't even draw mountains very well. Right? And that's just a triangle, and you put some zigzag lines on it, right, for the snow, snow path. But you see, when we think about the awesomeness of God, all that he's created, the beauty that he has created in this world, the fact that he is the creator, the fact that he is the sustainer, the fact that he has done all these things, I can't even begin to approach that. The very breath that I breathe, I breathe because he's enabled me to breathe it. And so when I take all that in, I must be humble. And I think that's what the psalmist is, is trying to get us to think about. As we think about the reason that we worship God, first of all, we worship him because he is our savior, but we also worship him because he is our creator. He's the one that made us. He's the one that has given us all these things. And so we worship him for that reason. God's greatness. He is the only one true God. Now notice what he says here. Verse 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Verse 6. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. And so he says... We ought to come and bow down. And this is an important concept because this is the concept of the word that we see in the New Testament, proskuneo, which literally means to prostrate yourself. And for the Persians, where this, who derived this word, literally to kiss the feet or the ground before someone. When was the last time you kissed someone's feet? even if it was a stupendous person. When was the last time you kissed those feet of another person? And we don't do that, right? But that's literally what this word means, to bow down and kiss the feet or kiss the ground at someone's feet because you are giving them homage. You're giving them reverence. And what the psalmist is saying, because God is our maker in verse 6, we ought to come before him and bow down. See, that is a, a, an imagery of humility. How are you humble and thankful at the same time? Can you be humble and thankful at the same time? Can you be humble and thankful on the one hand and be joyful on the other? See, the psalmist is putting 
these things together. And he says, when we worship, these are the attitudes we ought to have. These are the manner in, in which we ought to worship. Uh, on the one hand, we're thankful and we're happy and we're joyous. And yet on the other, we're doing that with humility because of who God is. You know, I've always been the shortest guy. It's true. When I was in school, I was always the shortest person. I remember taking sixth grade pictures in elementary school. They lined everyone up from the tallest to shortest. And I thought, certainly I'm not going to be the shortest. But they had that shortest girl there, and she was taller than me. Uh, you know, I'm still looking for that final growing spurt, right? Uh, in, my high, in high school, they used to call me Scrawny Ronnie. Right? That was my nickname, Scrawny Ronnie. Here comes Scrawny Ronnie, right? Uh, that's just who I am. But, you know, when you're a little guy like that, who do you want to have to be your best friend? The biggest guy, right? I'm going to be on Jay's team, right? Uh, I'm going to be on the team of, of the big guy uh, because that person can offer a certain amount of protection, right? That person can offer a little bit of, uh, no one's going to mess with the little guy because he's good friends with the big guy. You know, how many children's books are, are written with that kind of a thing? But with God and Christ, that's the truth. We can rejoice and be joyful and thankful while at the same time being humble and bowing down to God because we look at his awesomeness. We look at the fact that he created us. We look at the fact that he sustained us. We look at the fact that he's given us salvation. He's the one with the muscles and the power and the might. And he says, I love you so much. I'm going to take care of you. I love you so much that even though you've messed up at times, I'm still going to take care of you. I'm still going to have you in my arms. I'm still going to lift you up. I'm still going to call you friend. I'm still going to call you my son or my daughter. Well, look at the awesomeness of who God is. And we say, there's nothing I can do to reach that. And we fall on our knees. And we worship because of his greatness and mercy and compassion and the fact that he made us. What do you say to your kids when they talk about worship? What do you say to your children when they, they ask questions about why should we do things this way or why should we do things uh, that way? Do you ever bring it home and talk with them about the fact that we do it because God made us? God cares for us. This is what God has asked us to do. That's why we do it this way. And we bring that same attitude with us when we worship. And so the psalmist says, look, when you come before God, sing with joy, bring thankfulness, praise his name, realize that you are in his presence, but also bow down, kneel before him, because he is our maker. And so we bring this attitude of humility in our worship. Do you know what causes us problems in worship? And when I say what causes us problems, I, I mean when you think about the big picture of, of, of the church and Christianity, 
not necessarily just Bimbrook. No, I've not seen this here. But so often we say statements like, I hate that song. We've sung that song a million times. Or why does this guy always get up and pray such long prayers? Or why does this guy get up and pray such short prayers? Why does the preacher preach too long? Nobody here ever says that. Right? Uh, why, why, why? And when, we're do, when we do things like that, we are forgetting the purpose of our worship. I understand. We all have songs that we grew up singing, and we love those songs. And we sing those songs. We love to sing those songs. Or we grew up singing those songs, and we think, oh, can we ever learn a new song? Right? Or we have different styles of songs that we like and don't like. We have different types of preaching that we like and we don't like. Folks, when we do that, we are forgetting that we are humbly coming before God's presence and thanking Him for what He's done for us. Bowing down before Him because He made us. Bowing down before Him because He loves us. We need to put away those types of things. And we ought to look joyfully at those opportunities we have to come and worship. When your child says on Sunday morning, where are we going? Do you use phrases like, we have to go to church? It's a real bummer. We've got to go to church. Or do you use phrases like, we get to go worship God this morning? You know, it's a little twisting of the words and a little twisting of the tone. But if you consistently make that change, it changes our perspective of worship. Because, I mean, for crying out loud, if you're a little kid, why would you want to go sit and listen to somebody talk for 30 minutes? Why would you want to go and sing some songs that seem boring to you? But as parents, it's our job, it's our task, it's our role to show this is what worship is all about. We worship God because we're praising Him because of the things that He's done for us and because of who He is. And so another attitude that we have in worship is that attitude of submissiveness. Notice what he says as he continues in verse 7. He says, for He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the days of Massah in the wilderness when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation. And they said they are a people who err in their heart. They do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, they shall not enter my rest. Whoa. The psalmist just went from saying how we ought to praise God and be joyful in God to ending the, the psalm by saying, hey, you better be careful because if you don't, you're not going to enter my rest. What happened? He looks back. To that time when Moses stood before the rock. Meribah and Massah, and the people were complaining again. Moses went and hit the rock. God said, speak to the rock. And the waters were bitter. 
God was tired of the complaining. You see, they forgot who God was. And so the psalmist says, look, guys, we need to kneel down before our maker, verse 7, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. To us, that analogy uh, is missing in our minds because we don't do sheep. They did sheep. They knew what a pastor, a shepherd, was. Somebody who led the sheep. Somebody who cared for the sheep. Somebody who took the, the, the idea of the being of the sheep and took that to heart and spent their days and their nights and every moment of their lives leading and caring for the sheep. And the psalmist says, God is our God. He is our shepherd. And the analogy that he's using is the fact that Israel should have looked to God as the one who had been caring for them, guiding them, but they forgot that. They no longer trusted God, and so they sought to rebel against God. submit ourselves to God because we look at God as one who cares for us. He loves us. He wants to hold us. He wants to lead us. And he wants us to follow him not because we have to, but because we recognize his love for us. And that attitude ought to be one of the attitudes we carry as we worship. When we gather together to worship, it's not a have to. It's not a let me design my part of worship to fulfill myself or to fulfill the desires of someone close to me or, or to have a competing imagery of, of what that worship ought to be. Instead, it's us coming before God with an attitude of thanksgiving, with an attitude of humility, and an attitude of submissiveness. So what does this suggest for our worship? While there may be many forms of worship that may be harmless and popular, we base our worship in what God, our shepherd, has led us to do in his word. Oftentimes in the religious community today, uh, the appeal for worship is based on what is needs-based, meaning what scratch people want us to itch, what itch people want us to scratch. Let me get that phrase right. Or what will draw people in rather than what is pleasing to God. As we worship as the Benbrook Church of Christ, we want to worship in the ways that God has described for us in the New Testament, all those things that we've been talking about the last three or four weeks. But we also want to bring into our worship that attitude that the psalmist speaks about here. Thanksgiving, submissiveness, humility. And we want to do it with joy. We want to do it with gladness. But we want to tell our God, Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for being our maker.
Thank you for being a shepherd who watches out for us, cares us, and loves us. If you're here this morning and you want to know that God, by being united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, you can become one with Christ, united with him in those things, so that one day you can be united with him in that eternal life in his Father's house. If that's what you need to do this morning, why don't you come? As together we stand and sing.